Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Today we're going to hear, uh, you're going to hear a message that I have entitled, Unlikely, Unlikely. And the story, our story today, is based on a biblical character that uh, many of you, if not most of you, if not all of you, may have never heard of. And that's okay. Uh, It is based on the story of Mephibosheth. And you're sitting there like Mephiba what? Mephiba who? It's Mephiba chef. I just love saying that. Mephiba chef. Okay? Now, sometimes we, 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 we come to church. You may find this to be true of yourself. You come to church and you're thinking, you know, you, you may feel a little bit insecure because you, you don't know as much as the Bible as you like to or you, maybe as you should or could. And you feel a little bit uneasy, a little bit stressed about that because, oh, man, I just don't know the Bible like I need to know the Bible like I should know the Bible. So I want to see a raise a, a show of hands. How many of you have ever heard or know the story of Mephibosheth? Wow, that's pretty cool. Oh, you folks are, no. Nah. <laughs> that's all good. <laughs> the story of Mephibosheth is a story of mercy and grace. A story of the unlikely. The story of the the unlikely. But before we get there, before we really dive into the story of Mephibosheth, again, we're going to have a vote. And I want to see a show of hands. How many of you would say, you know what? In there, there have been times in my life that I've experienced unlikely things. Well, all of us, mostly all of us, have experienced unlikely events to occur in our life, okay? Case in point, back in the early 90s uh, through uh, 92 to 96, I served a church in Thomasville, North Carolina. The name of the church was Carolina Memorial Baptist Church. Carolina Memorial Baptist Church. It was not Duke Memorial Baptist Church. It was not NC State Memorial Baptist Church. It was Carolina. So it was God ordained for Daryl to go there because uh, Daryl is a Carolina fan. Okay? So it's Carolina Memorial Baptist Church. And, and like I said, I served there for four years. I loved my time in Thomasville. Loved it there. At the time, Adam was six years old, my son. Emily was one. Six and one. Okay? When Sandra and I moved there, when we first moved there, we rented a, a house and, uh, for a period of time. And then later on, we purchased a house. And this house was a new house. It had never been lived in before, you know, a new construction. And uh, Sandra and I were there after we moved in. We were there in the kitchen area putting up dishes, you know, in, in the cabinets and everything. And uh, Adam and Emily were right on the other side of the counter in the living room area playing underneath a ceiling fan that we had at the time was running. Also, and I, I can't remember, I'm assuming it was at night because the, the light was on. And the ceiling fan, you know, the, it was covered, of course, by a globe and everything. And so Sandra and I are putting up the dishes, and for all of a sudden, boom, this loud noise. 
uh, occurs. And, and we look, we hear Adam and Emily are just a screaming and, 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 you know, it's a weeping and wailing and a gnashing of teeth going on. And we look over there and blood is running down the both of them, the side of their heads. And Sandra and I freak out. We run over there and we discover that the globe that covered the light bulb on the ceiling fan had exploded. And it had rained down shards and, and slivers of glass down onto their head and their scalp. So we grabbed them up and took them to the emergency room and you know, got all that took care of, their injuries and everything. Now that's an unlikely event, isn't it? And, and if you have children, you've had unlikely events, right? <laughs> You're thinking, God, how does this happen? You know? Back in the, when Adam was in the eighth grade, he got tackled from behind on the last day of practice when he, when, when he was at Hudson Middle School. He got tackled on the last day of practice. He was the uh, second string running back. He got tackled by the defensive lineman from behind, broke completely in half his left femur. He spent the next three and a half weeks in traction at Fry Hospital. An unlikely event. Holy cow. Unlikely events happen all the time in our lives. And today's focus in our past focal package, we're going to see how an unlikely event forever shaped the story and the life of Mephibosheth. Let's look as we begin with 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And as she fled in her haste, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. So, before we go further, we need to, uh, I need to define to you and set in place who the main characters are in our Bible study today. First, we have Saul. Well, who was Saul? Saul was the king of Israel at this time. Not God's choice, but he was the king of Israel. The next character, Jonathan. Jonathan was the son of Saul. So if Saul is the king, Jonathan is therefore the what? Prince. He is also what? He is next in line for the throne, for the, in, in the kingdom. So you've got number one, Saul. Number two, next in line, Jonathan. The next person, Mephibosheth. He was the son of Jonathan. Okay? So that's, who's number three in line? Excuse me, number two in line. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is number two. Jonathan is number one. Okay? He was the son of Jonathan. And we got this guy. David. Hey, most everybody knows the story of David. David. David is the guy. David, David is the one who killed the giant, Goliath, right? Everybody knows the story about that. He was the giant killer, and in the context of this verse, he is the future king. It's important to remember that. Future king, not present king, because Saul is, is the present king in this verse. Okay, now that we know the characters, 
in our study, I want to remind you what verse 4 said. Mephibosheth was five years old. Five years old. Now, all of you in the room, just about everybody, 100% in the room, at one time you were five years old, <laughs> right? Now, some of us, some of us who are older, you know, may struggle with remembering <laughs> what it was like to be five. Now, I do, okay? But Mephibosheth was five years old. And imagine you're five years old, and you are where? You're at the palace because your grandfather is the king. So, and as most five-year-olds would likely be doing, Mephibosheth was probably in the courtyard playing like, you know, just five-year-olds do. Now, I do not know what royal five-year-olds play or what kind of games they play, but I imagine he was there having a good time. And all of a sudden, the palace doors just bust open. People go in pandemonium. Chaos ensues. Screaming, hollering, yelling. And all you know is, you're like, what is going on? As a five-year-old, what is happening? And to bring back to your memory, Dave, if you'll go back to verse 4, if you would, please, for me. I'm sorry, you got to go all the way back, my bad. There we go. There we go. Five years old when what happened? The news of Saul and Jonathan. Well, what's the news? They're dead. You're five years old. You're playing in the courtyard. And somebody busts open the door and says, your daddy's dead. Oh, your grandfather's dead too. Wow. Is that an unlikely event? Yeah. That's an unlikely event. To happen into a five-year-old's life for that to happen. Well, the verse goes on to say, oh, wow. So we got a double tragedy. My dad's dead. My grandfather's dead. And the nurse picked him up and fled. And as she was fleeing, she dropped him. And he became lame. Unlikely. So, everybody's freaking out. Thinking they're going to get killed because David is assuming king to be king, the kingship. And so, everyone knows. But, Mephibosheth, what's getting ready to happen? They know Saul's dead, Jonathan's dead, and who's next in line? Mephibosheth. They know what is supposed to happen. And what is supposed to happen is Mephibosheth is to be killed. Gosh, that's harsh, ain't it? Well, I'm sorry. That's the way the rules were back in because this was a monarchy, right? The king dies, his next in line is to be killed, the next in line is to be killed. Until the whole family is wiped out. That's the way it was. The Mephibosheth is there. And all this happens. Five years old. My grandfather's dead. My dad's dead. 
And David's coming. So I want you to understand as best as we can. We're going to try to understand and get in the mind of Mephibosheth. To put in context who David was to Mephibosheth. The Bible tells us that David and Jonathan, Mephibosheth's dad, were really, really close friends. In fact, if you've ever gone to a church and heard a sermon or a message about friendship, there is a good chance you will hear that message based on the friendship of David and Jonathan. That is how wonderful a friendship it was, and that is how strong the friendship was, that God chose it to illustrate the power of friendship. So, chronologically speaking, David has already killed Goliath, okay? And in fact, David had many adventures and escapades as one of Saul's top generals. He had killed many Philistines besides Goliath, okay? Goliath was the most famous. In fact, in Scripture, in the Old Testament, the people sang a song one day, and here's a line from that song. Saul, he's killed his thousands. But, oh, David, he's killed his tens of thousands. So David is this iconic figure. And I believe, without any doubt in my mind, that Jonathan, excuse me, that Mephibosheth knew who David was. That he, he was this guy who had done all these things. He was this guy who was really tight with my daddy. Now, if you want to put that in contemporary terms today, when you were growing up, you may have had a person uh, in the form of a poster hanging on your wall. Now, when I was coming up, when I was growing up, that was, you know, Dr. J., uh, Michael Jordan, not that I was ever Dr. J or Michael Jordan, (laughs) but in other words, they were a hero. Now, if you were in that damn time, David would probably have been Mephibosheth's poster, his hero. Someone, again, who was iconic. Maybe to the point of being an honorary uncle to Mephibosheth. He was that important to Mephibosheth, I believe. So, again, going back to trying to get into the mind of Mephibosheth. You're, you're there. Your dad's dead. You've been killed in battle. Your grandfather's dead. And now David. Well, it's going to be okay because David's coming. Why do I need to worry? David's coming. David loves my daddy. Why do I need to be scared of David? Why do I need to be fearful? Why is, why is that so? That's a, that's a lot for a kid to take in, right? That's a lot for anybody to take in in just a matter of moments. Well, in the panic, you know, in the verse 4, we read that, you know, the, the nurse picked him up, begins to run, and as she's running, she drops him, and he's crippled for life in both legs. They don't have time to set a splint. They don't have time to do anything. They just run with him out to a place called Lodabar. Lodabar is something we're going to talk about in just a minute. Very significant in the story of Mephibosheth, okay? So... I need to ask you as we move forward this question. Have you ever, have you ever had a Mephibosheth moment in your life? Now, I'm not talking about somebody picking you up and running out the room and dropping you and you're crippled. I'm not saying that. This is what I am saying. 
that life is wonderful, life is cool, life is great. Jesus loves me, yay. I'm, I feel great physical, physically. My relationships are good. And this, for some reason or another, you have a Mephibosheth moment. Totally unexpected, totally unlikely to happen. For example, you go to the doctor. And you're there in the waiting room and the doctor comes in and does the examination, runs some tests, and he gives you a report that you did not expect. That's a Mephibosheth moment. One day you're healthy, the next day you feel like everything, everything in your world is turned upside down. That's a Mephibosheth moment. Or maybe it's someone that you thought you could trust has violated that trust. Maybe it could be a relationship that you thought that would go the distance, but it's crumbled down around you and in seeming in seemingly so short of time and that has turned your world upside down of my favorite chef moment maybe life as a parent has taken you to the end of your rope and you just have no idea where to turn to next of my favorite chef moment For him, for Mephibosheth, the Bible is not real clear about how many years pass. But there are some passage of, there is a passage of time to where we're going to pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 9. But we do know that Mephibosheth does not get healed. He does not get helped. Mephibosheth is just broken. But the story of Mephibosheth does not end there. So if you identify with Mephibosheth, I want you to understand your story does not end there as well. Because I got good news. (laughs) Not just about Mephibosheth, but I got some good news for you as well. So let's pick up in chapter 9, verse 1. Again, just to remind you, some time has passed. Mephibosheth is now an adult. And David said, Is there still anyone left? Excuse me. Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, that's a weird statement to make, right? Based on, if you, if you remember the context, if you, based on the fact that in a monarchy... All the king's heirs are done away with. They're all killed. This is a weird statement to hear and to make. Is there anyone left? Okay. And the reason he asked that question is in the last part of the verse. Why, David, do you want to know is there anyone left? So that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. So as as I talked about a minute ago, Jonathan and David were actually, actually uh, really, really very good friends. Very good friends. And at one point in Scripture, what happens, happened was this. David had been anointed king of Israel by the Old Testament prophet by the name of Samuel. Samuel had come to David and said, you will be the king of Israel one day. And Jonathan was aware of this. 
And Jonathan goes to David and says, David, listen, when you become king, I have but one request. And that request is this. Would you show kindness to me and my family? That was the request of Jonathan. Jonathan knew that it would be a good thing for the royal line for his heirs to continue. So Jonathan asked him, would you show kindness to me and my, to me and my family? And David said, as surely as the Lord lives, I will show kindness to you and your family. Now, David had made this covenant and this promise to Jonathan that he would do this. And the Bible records in 2 Samuel 9 that one day, I have no idea why. I have no idea why verse 1 happens. We don't know. We don't know if David was out doing something, uh, maybe an activity or a hobby or something that he and Jonathan enjoyed doing together as friends. And it just comes to his mind. Ah, I made this covenant with Jonathan to show kindness to his family. I don't know why, but it happens. And that's why we have this request from David to find out if there's anyone left. Is there anyone left who I can show kindness to? So let's pick up in verse 2. There we go. Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant, which means yes. Okay, Ziba's saying, yes, I am. And the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. And this this is how he's identified. He is crippled in his feet. Hmm. Why would he do that? The reason Ziba did that is because that was Mephibosheth's identity. A cripple. He was known as being a cripple. I want to remind you there was no Americans for Disabilities Act back back then. There were no wheelchairs, no canes, no walkers, nothing like that to help a person get around. So Zeba is basically saying, yeah, there's one. He's worthless. He doesn't matter. Now, in our, in our culture today, we understand that to be absolutely absurd, right? Because it doesn't matter if you have a physical disability, a mental disability, you are still valued in God's eyes. Amen. God loves you Period. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank. It doesn't matter what you got hanging in your closet. It doesn't matter what you drive. It doesn't matter if you can walk with a limp or if you can run a 100-yard dash in 4-9. It doesn't matter. God loves you the same because of you. That is why. You are valued in God's eyes. But no, not Mephibosheth. He's a cripple, David. He's of no value. He's a cripple. Well, I'm glad there's more to the story. Verse 4. The king said to him, 
Where's he at? Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Micar, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. Then, kid, then King David sent and brought him from the house of Micar, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. Why is Lodabar important? Lodabar was a place that meant this. It meant a place of no bread. It's considered, it was considered an arid, dry, desolate place, a place that is way out away from the city. You could almost say that Mephibosheth had kind of been placed in the witness protection plan, right? Because that's where the nurse fled with him to, is to Lodabar. Why? To hide him, to keep him from death at the hands of the king. That's why he was taken to Lodabar. In fact, in First Chronicles chapter 8, Oh, this is so wonderful. This is great. Catch this. In First Chronicles chapter 8, it's important to understand that in the gene- genealogy of King Saul, Mephibosheth was not even his actual name. Now, those of you who raised your hand a little while ago said, Oh, yeah, I know the story of Mephibosheth. I wonder how many of you knew that. His given name was not Mephibosheth. First Chronicles chapter 8 records the genealogy of Saul. And in that genealogy is listed Jonathan. And in that genealogy is Jonathan's child, one. One child, one son, not Mephibosheth. Mirabel was his given name. (laughs) And you want to know what that meant? Mirabel meant opponent of false gods. An opponent of false gods. So Jonathan names his son an opponent of false god. You are my son of a royal lineage. You are an opponent of a false god by the name of Baal. Baal was a false god at that time. And Jonathan decided to name his son Mirabel. But where did this name Mephibosheth come from? Well, I'm glad you asked, even though you did not ask. Mephibosheth means this, a person of shame. Wow. So imagine this. Five years old, you lose your daddy, you lose your grandfather, your nurse drops in your lane, and they change your name. That's not a good day. I don't care how you look at it, that's not a good day. The people you thought that you could trust... The people that you thought that you could t- take care of you, they take you away from the palace and they take you to a place called Lodabar. A desolate, dry place. And you go from being Maribel to Mephibosheth. So we have no idea how long Mephibosheth has lived in Lodabar. The Bible's not clear. So you imagine, you're Mephibosheth. Knock, knock, knock. Somebody's at the door. Hey, Mephibosheth, it's Zeba. Remember me. I was a servant in your grandfather's house, in your grandfather's palace when your grandfather was king. Remember, King Saul? I was a servant in your grandfather's house. Remember me? I'm Zeba. The king, King David, wants to see you, Mephibosheth. Oh, my. Now, you take into account and consider 
these years have passed and how David's, excuse me, Mephibosheth's idea of who David is has changed. Whereas when he was five, David was a hero. Me and my daddy were good buddies. But now, it's because of David I've lived these years in Lodabar. It's because of David I'm crippled. It's because of David I've lost my dad. It's because of David I've lost my grandfather. It's David's fault. And to hear, David wants to see you. <laughs> Can you imagine an unlikely event like that happen? But this is where the story takes an unlikely turn. You, you think you've got, you, you understand what's getting ready to happen, that Mephibosheth is getting ready to lose his head, literally. Mm-mm. Let's pick up in verse 7. So Mephibosheth goes to the palace, goes to King David, and he's before King David. And David says to him, Mephibosheth, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, Mephibosheth is, getting, is speaking here now, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? What a terrible thing to say about yourself. Mephibosheth considered himself a dead dog. A dead dog. Would you have the same self-esteem if you were living in a place called Lodabar that meant no bread? Would you have the same self-esteem if they had changed your name to mean no shame? A person of shame? So I need to ask you this. Have you ever found yourself at a place where you kind of felt like you'd become worthless or maybe you weren't worthy of something? You listen and you hear the angel of lies, Satan, and he tells you this lie and he tells you that lie and you begin to believe it to the point that you, you yourself maybe change your name to son or daughter of shame. You're just a dead dog. That's what Satan tells us. You see, for Mephibosheth, in this moment, in this moment here in verse 7 and 8, where he's receiving the blessings of the king, I could understand how he could be thinking, What? You're going to bless me? This verse says, and he paid homage. What does that look like? It means he was on his knees. His head was bowed to the king. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I wonder if Mephibosheth is on his knees just waiting for the sword. Oof. But no. The king, King David, says, do not fear. I will, I am going to show you kindness because of the covenant I made with your father, Jonathan. So everything that Mephibosheth had thought, everything that he had heard that David wanted to do to him in eliminating him because he was in the lineage of King Saul was turned on its head. 
an unlikely event. An unlikely event. In the same way is true for me and you. Same way is true for you, me and you. Many times we put ourselves in a Lodabar. We exile ourselves away from God because we think we have screwed up so bad that God, there's no way that God can love us. There's no way that God can forgive us. There's no way that God can bless us based on our disobedience, our failure to do do this or do that. No way God can care for me now. I am as a dead dog. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Uh-uh, brother. <laughs> no, sir. No, ma'am. The king wants to show blessing. The king. And I'm speaking about King Jesus. Okay? Or like maybe some tragedy strikes and you see a family lose a father. You know, we love the, the underdog story, don't we? All of us love the underdog story. For example, does anyone, can, can anyone tell me, has American Idol started yet? I don't watch it. I don't, I don't know. Okay? I'm too busy watching turkey hunting. Okay? <laughs> okay. Think about the story of American Idol. Yes, there's people on there that cannot carry a tune in a bucket. How in God's name do they put pick in people? I have no idea. Anyway, there are people who can sing. You know, they 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 progress through the through the judgments and, and the, the judge uh, the judges vote them on. Oh, you get to go to Hollywood, yeah, yeah, yeah. They go to Hollywood and then they continue to get to pass off. They're checked off and they continue through all these stages of winning each of the stages. Then finally, one day. Shazam, they are the next American Idol. The next pop music icon in America. Carrie Underwood. And I could go on and on and on, right? Okay? We want to root for the underdog. Yeah! Okay, what about this? What about the single mom of three? She's living in a rundown house. And some people get wind of that. And then there just comes this whole crew in, and they fix up this house. It goes from a rundown dump to a palace in a matter of a week. And you see on TV, there's this big, humongous bus parked in front of the house. And everybody's in the street, move that bus, move that bus. And they move the bus, and shazam, there is a brand new house. And you're like, yes, she deserves that. Yes, a story of redemption. Because she got the raw end of the deal. She deserves all of this. And you know why you and I gravitate toward that? That is on your DNA and my DNA. The story of redemption is embedded in us. That's why we love it. That is the, the story of Mephibosheth. That's why this next point is so important. Verse 9. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. He's speaking of Mephibosheth. 
And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce and that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. So it's important for us to realize and understand this point right here that God, not God, but David calls Ziba to himself says, hey, listen, I'm going to give them Mephibosheth not this little garden that has two rows of corn, five tomato plants, and three squash plants. Okay? No, he is getting every bit of his grandfather's property. <laughs> and and Mephibosheth is there hearing this. And Mephibosheth lived in a place that meant no bread. And David says... He will have bread to eat. And Mephibosheth was in a place called Lodabar that that meant desolate. And David's saying he's going to be at my table. (laughs) Mephibosheth is hearing this. (laughs) An unlikely turn in the story, right? An unlikely turn in the story. I love verse 11. Look at this verse. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. How about that? (laughs) Five years old, you lose your daddy, lose your grandfather. You're lame. Somebody dropped you. Your legs are broke. Can't walk ever again. They change your name. They move you to outside the city, and you consider yourself a dead dog. <laughs> An unlikely event. David is restoring him. He's bringing him to a place of honor and power. We love the ending of this story, don't we? Love the ending of this story of Mephibosheth. We love it when we see somebody who really didn't deserve that and has gotten a raw deal. We love it. But I want to tell you and remind you of what I said a moment ago. That is on the DNA of your life and of my life. And this is why. David, you are Mephibosheth. I am Mephibosheth. What do you mean I'm Mephibosheth, Daryl? This is what I mean. We're going to fire right through these, okay? Number one, we are fallen and broken. The Bible says that Mephibosheth was dropped and he was crippled in both feet. Now, you and I are not crippled in both feet. No one's dropped us. Spiritually, we are fallen and broken. Romans 3.23 says this, For all... Does that mean everybody? (laughs) I got a college degree, but I learned that in kindergarten. The word all means everybody. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone is fallen and broken. Everyone. Number two. We are pursued by the king. 
We are pursued by the king. Mephibosheth wasn't just left in Lodabar. David came looking for Mephibosheth. There is a king who cannot, who is, who is not going to give you a huge chunk of land, who is not going to give you material possessions, but there is a king who is pursuing you and I to give us eternal life. His name's King Jesus. In John chapter 3, verse 17, this follows the most famous verse in probably the entire world, in the entire book of the Bible, John 3, 16. I really love John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Okay. Why did he send him? That comes after the comma. But in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why Jesus came. That's why God sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's why God sent Jesus for you and I. So we're fallen and broken, but we're, we were pursued by the king. And then the last thing is this, the king's table covers our sins. Oh, my goodness. You cannot miss this. I hope everyone can see me. Check this out. I have prepared a table over here, way over here in the corner. How are you doing, Billy? <laughs> way over here in the corner. And the way I've set this table, you cannot see my legs, can you? Yeah, can't see my legs. This table covers my legs. Can't see me. Can't see my legs. But you know what you can't see? You can't see my brokenness. Guess what King David's table did? <laughs> All right, Gene. It covered Mephibosheth's brokenness. The king's table that covers Daryl's brokenness, that covers Callie's brokenness, Gene's brokenness, Eddie's brokenness, is the blood of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? I want to hear an amen. <laughs> the king's table covers my sins, your sins. The king's table is the blood of Jesus shed on a cross for you and for me. Holy Toledo. That is good stuff right there, folks. If you don't hear anything else this knucklehead says this morning, you need to hear that. The king's table covers your sins, covers your brokenness, because why? You've fallen. And remember, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. Every one of us. So when people looked at Mephibosheth, they didn't see a broken man. They seen the king's blessings covering him. So my question to you is this. When people look at you as a believer, as someone who claims to follow Christ, do they see your brokenness, your sin, your fallen condition, or do they see that you have been covered by the blood of Christ through your actions, your deeds, your attitude, your words, 
It's the whole nine yards, folks. I'm sorry. It ain't just our words, folks. We got to live it when we go out these doors. Amen? It's, it's a piece of cake to be a Christian in these four walls. It's easy. When you get out there and you're standing in line at Walmart, it's tough, Bill. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's tough to be a Christian when you're standing in line somewhere. It's tough to be a Christian when you're traveling on 321 at 730 in the morning. And that knucklehead is in the wrong lane. It's hard. But God commands us, God calls us to be believers, followers of Christ wherever we are, so that people will understand that the king's table, which is the king's blood, has changed us. That we are now as one of the king's sons, which was what? which was how Mephibosheth was viewed from then on. Like one of the king's sons. Wow. (laughs) Let's look at some verses from Hebrews. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Uh, whose blood's that? Daryl, I got to shed my blood? Nah, that's already been taken care of. But don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus has done shed his blood for your forgiveness. You don't have to do that. Next verse. So Christ was sacrificed. How many times? One time. Once to take away the sins of many people. Uh, you can put your name there. To take away the sins of Daryl. Take away the sins of Callie. To take away the sins of... Put your name. And he will appear a second time, not to, not to bear sin. No. Why? No, no, no. But to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. That is why there was a sacrifice on a cross a long time ago so that you and I can have forgiveness and one day spend eternal life with God. Amen? That is why Christ died and was raised again on the third day. That is because of his sacrifice. That is the purpose of his sacrifice. Look at these verses here from Luke chapter 22. Love these verses. And I sign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom. A kingdom. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. That's Jesus talking there. We have a place at the table. Again, why? Because of the blood of Christ. And that leads us into my last point. That is our unlikely gift. Gosh, Daryl, why is it unlikely that I should receive that? (laughs) Because you and I deserve hell. (laughs) We deserve hell. Daryl deserves hell. And I'll be blunt, you deserve hell. (laughs) I'm not saying go to hell. I'm saying you deserve hell. Let's be clear about that. Don't put words in my mouth. We deserve hell, but we have an unlikely gift through Christ. Verse 13. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. Why? For he ate always at the king's table. And again... It reminds us why. Now he was lame in both his feet. 
Don't miss this right here. The word Jerusalem comes from a Hebrew word, a verb, in fact, that is shalim. You want to know what shalim means? Wholeness. Completeness. Unbrokenness. A <laughs> chef goes from <laughs> Lodabar, a place of no bread, a place of brokenness, to Jerusalem. Complete, whole. Folks, we are Mephibosheth. You can insert your name there. You can insert your name now, right there. And Daryl now eats at the king's table. You can insert your name there. Way back when Daryl was 13 years old, way back when Daryl was 13 years old, Daryl was going to hell. Okay? I was lost. I was lost. I wasn't at the king's table. I was in Lodabar, a place that was desolate, okay, no bread. I was in Lodabar. And at a vacation Bible school when I was 13, my pastor at the church uh, that I grew up in preached the message, and I understood for the first time, Daryl, if you die tonight, you're going to hell, boy. I understood that for the first time. Now, a lot of you have heard about a phrase that is not biblical at all, the phrase age of accountability. That is not biblical, folks. Okay, let me just tell you, that is not biblical. What is the age of accountability? The age of accountability is that point in time, that exact moment that you understand and you realize, if I take my last breath, I'm going to hell if I don't know Jesus. That is the age of accountability. So, at 13, Daryl, here, here's uh, the, my pastor at Vacation Bible School, give all the kids there the story about salvation. And how we can know God, and how we can know Jesus, and have eternal life. And the and the pastor says this at the end before he invites all of us to come forward who wants to accept Jesus. But I don't quote. I don't want you to come forward if you come because your buddy comes. Well, my two best friends got up, Jimmy and Pat, and Daryl knows. Daryl gets up. Daryl was going because Jimmy and Pat got up. So I sit there. I stayed in Lodabar for two years. Fast forward to I'm 15. And I, my youth pastor comes and shares what it means to be a Christian at my home after school. Second Tuesday, November. 1976. I went from Lodabar to Jerusalem. I went from being crippled and lame to being pursued by the king and to having my sins covered by the king's table, i.e., Jesus' blood. And if you're here today and you have not been covered, have no idea what Daryl's talking about as far as being covered, your sins being covered, your brokenness being covered, your shame being, take care, being taken care of by the blood of Jesus. I know it's unlikely, but God loves you that much. 
And he wants to do that for you. He wants to bless you and give you purpose for your life. Why? Why would God do that? Well, he loves us, number one. It's also for our good. But don't miss this. For better yet, it's for his glory. That's why God wants to change our lives. For his glory. For his glory. Let's close with some verses from Romans 5. For a while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good, re- for a good person one would dare even to die. But God, <laughs> but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Bam, I got to stop right here. I'm sorry. You cannot clean yourself up to be accepted by God. I've heard people say, well, I'll go to church when I, get my, when I straighten myself up and I you know, get rid of some stuff. Can't do that, man. Can't do that. God is the one who cleans us up. Amen? God is the one who power washes our soul, changes our lives. You cannot do it yourself. Verse 8 says, while we were still sinners. It does not say, well, after I quit doing A, B, C, and D, God will change me. No. The Bible says God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, as past tense, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more... Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? Number 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now now received reconciliation. Get this, when you say yes to Jesus, when you say yes to sitting at his table, when you say yes to accepting his sacrifice of his blood to cover our sin, your sin, when you say yes to his desire, his willingness to make you whole, and make you new, you find forgiveness, you find purpose, you find meaning and truth, and you find completeness and wholeness in the King who pursued you, who is pursuing you. That is Jesus. That is God. And again, it's all unlikely. But it's true. It's true. Oh, the story of Mephibosheth. Now, when you get to work tomorrow, you can tell the people about the story of Mephibosheth. And they're going to look at you like, what? What? You know why you can tell the story of Mephibosheth? You are Mephibosheth. I'm Mephibosheth. If you've accepted Christ, let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you, God, that we can look into your word. We thank you, God. Lord, that one day, despite our brokenness, being fallen, God, that you pursued us. And because of that pursuit, God, because of that seeking, after us, chasing after us, God, pursuing us, God, that you
showed your love. And God, because of that, because of that sacrifice on the cross, we can have a relationship with you. We can sit at the table and we can be known. We can be known, God, as one of your children, as one of your sons, as one of your daughters, simply because, God, we thank you so much, simply because of the blood of your son. God, we're so thankful for that. Lord, there may be some in this room this morning, God, who have never accepted that, the payment for their sin to cover their brokenness. God, I ask that you help them to understand and press upon their heart, God, this morning, that your desire is to have a relationship with them, for them to know you complete and whole. Help them to know, God, that they do not have to stay in a desolate place called Lodabar. But, God, they can go and have a relationship with you and know you. Lord, there may be some in this room who've settled that question, God, and they're enjoying their time at the table. But, Lord, they may have others, they may have some in their life who are in a place like Lodabar, so far away from you have no idea, God, about your blessings and how you've covered their sin through the sacrifice of of Christ's blood. We ask, God, that you help them to see, God, that you desire for them to be an agent of change, to help us to see, God, that you want us to, to be followers of you in the greatest sense, God, to share with others that we are Mephibosheth, whose life has been changed by the King. God, we love you this morning because you first loved us. We thank you, God, for pursuing us. Be with us during this time of decision. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.